Have you guys watched Michael Rosenbaum's podcast, Inside of You? No. Well, this is the, I don't even like Smallville at all. Like, I barely knew who Michael Rosenbaum was, but he has this podcast. It, it just it just came up because, like, it's both video and, like, audio. And on YouTube, sometimes just the algorithm will just put it up there. But, like, he always is interviewing really cool people. Like, I was just watching one. Uh, the one I was just watching was, was him interviewing Sam Witwer. So it's just a really cool like kind of interview podcast, but he, they're they're like very open. Like they they talk about like work and like acting stories and stuff like that, but they're also very open about like mental health and stuff like that, which Ooh. is like so it's actually really good. Like Michael Rosenbaum, he seems like a cool guy. Again, I I don't I I don't really like the show that he's known for, but you know. <laughs> I watched all 10 seasons of Smallville, and I enjoyed it, but anyone who dislikes Smallville a little, or even a lot, or who hates Smallville, is completely justified, because it is not a very good show. I just enjoy it a lot. But it is a bad show. <laughs> that shit, that shit, so Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me as always, Zach Schneider and Liz Touring. Today, we're going to be reviewing X Men: The Last Stand, the third X Men movie. But first, uh, is there everybody? Everybody having a good weekend so far? I know that the the weather's kind of been going all over the place. Like it was like straight up spring for a while. And now we're getting that that like that last gasp of winter came out of nowhere. What what are you experiencing over in LA, Liz? Is is it just hot? No, it is cold. It is completely yeah. cold. Uh, it usually it hasn't in the last month. It hasn't got up above like fifty degrees. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's horrible, and then it's raining. So we're just experiencing a lot of flood warnings and. In L.A., you have to watch it because people think that they're like these ballerinas on ice when they're driving. I mean, they just skid all over the place and they slam on their brakes in the wrong time. And March is a weird month too. I feel like March March can never like decide what it wants to be like it because like I like I, I walked outside on like February twenty eighth, the last day of February. It was like seventy degrees out. There was mm-hmm. pollen everywhere. There was bees buzzing around. It's like, okay, I guess spring is here. And then like a week later, it's like, no, we're just going to get that gotcha, last bitch. little gust of winter before mm-hmm. like we fully start spring yeah. again. I mean, I hate spring, so like I'm fine. But like I'm I'm also just like, I'll, I just wanted to like decide what it what it's going to be. We'll have one nice spring day and then it's 170 degrees every day. That's the problem. It's like, especially, you know, maybe it's the same in L.A., but like, I feel like in Georgia, the problem I have with spring is like, like maybe get like the one day that's like just kind of nice. But then it just goes to already feeling like summer, except it's summer mixed in with all the pollen. And it's like, this is this is actually the worst. No, like spring is worse mm-hmm. than summer for me. Like I, I, I tend to prefer the cold months, but like I think spring is the worst season. I'm just I'm just going to come out. I'm just going to come out hot right out of the gate. Spring is the worst season. No, you're right. Spring is the worst season. No, thank you. With all that pollen, everything just pollinating, pollinating on you. Like, yeah. here's you some pollen. Here's you some pollen. You know, it's the. Uh, yeah, spring is actually the absolute worst, mostly because it's never like. Oh, a nice, mild spring where you just step outside and it's great. You only have a little bit of pollen to deal with. It's just like, going to dump pollen on you and you're going to burn at the same time. (laughs) Except this is Georgia, so you're actually going to boil. (laughs) 
Exactly. Yeah. It's like, so it's like, it's either like way too hot or it's just like storming. And it, there's, yeah. it's never just nice. It's never no, just yeah. nice, you know. Pollen jizz season is among you. I don't like Georgia's summer because of how hot it is, but I will say I've I've come around on summer a little bit just because even though it has been getting hotter and hotter, you know, th- thanks carbon emissions, but it has been getting hotter and hotter. But like there is something about days like that of like when you get to go to like the swimming pool or you have a cookout or you go to the beach right. or something beach, like that. Yeah. Like those are the days that kind of make summer were worth it for me or days about we're doing that kind of stuff but like spring spring is no 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 yeah. I, I don't like <laughs> just it. fuck off you can't you can't ch- jump in a swimming pool because it the swimming pool is full of pollen exactly well uh let's go ahead and slide right into x-men the last stand so spoilers <laughs> are going to start here for x-men the last stand maybe maybe your mutant power is that you just create pollen in which case, I'm, I'm definitely got to jab that needle into you because no. <laughs> <laughs> bad weather into a bad movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, the movie starts off. We don't get a dramatic voiceover by Xavier in this one. Instead, we get young Professor X with a young Magneto or meaning a young Jean Grey. I will say my memory was of the de-aging being really awful. It actually surprisingly wasn't as bad as I remembered it being, which is usually the it opposite of, of yeah. my fear. It actually, it actually was okay. I was like, wait, this. Yeah, I remember this looking really shitty. Maybe I, I might be conflating it a little bit with the Patrick Stewart from X Men Origins, which actually was horrible. That was, yeah. that was terrible. Like that was like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one was actually not too bad. Yeah, this genuinely wasn't as bad. I do think it was slightly unnecessary, considering that. Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen had kind of looked the same for like 30 years by the time this movie was made. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know why who are fooling. They, they've kind of, we don't Patrick really need to Stewart de-aging. for sure. I feel like they, they did more to Ian McKellen. Like, I don't feel like they, they, did. they, they, they did. didn't really do all that much of Patrick Stewart. I think they just did a little bit of like subtle smoothing, but it wasn't, right. again, it wasn't as, as like for either of them, I, I think that's why it worked is like, it wasn't like we're trying to make them look like 20. We're trying to make no. them look like 50 instead of 70. That's true. Yeah. And with Ian McKellen, they did a good job. He did look a lot like his old, um, you know, there's some of the old like playbill photos, um, yeah. you know, his old headshots. And he did look a lot like that. I so. don't see why they didn't get an Oscar for their VFX in this because they got rid of his whole turkey neck. I mean, you know, usually the gobbler is right there in your face, but no. And I was going to say, like, Patrick Stewart, he pretty much looks like TNG Patrick Stewart. <laughs> he it's does. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? He does. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you're kind of saying, Liz, you're kind of saying facetiously that, but, like, I will say the VFX of this movie are honestly pretty good. Like, they honestly they are. are. They like, are. They there's, are no, yeah. there's really nothing wrong with the VFX. They push the limits. Yeah. It actually looks even better. Like, and I think the first two X-Men movies look great, but I think that this one, I think they even push it a little further in some ways you know i like i like the cinematography in this one too like i think that they this this it looks crisp it it, it still has that kind of filmic you know film grainy look to it but it also yeah. looks more modern to at the same time you know they it's on the technical aspect of it it's a beautifully well-made movie technically no, it really is. tech-wise it really is. Oh, yeah. but the writing is you know oh yeah is this when they had the writer strike well, no, it's a fair question because that did affect a lot of movies and a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. I think this was a little bit 
I think this was a little bit before. I don't, I might be wrong. We might have to research, but I don't think this movie was actually affected by the writer's strike. I do know that this movie was affected by Brian Singer, the, uh, the director of the first two movies, wanting to go do Superman Returns instead of this movie, which is also why James Marsden is hardly in this movie, which is also kind of bullshit because like, okay, so you, you took off to be in a worse movie and they, they had to kill your character off off screen because of that, which is, yeah. which has always pissed me off. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. But that, but that was, I think a big, yeah, that, that's, that's why they got Brett Ratner instead of, instead of singer. And like, I, I can't really defend, like, I can't really say that I, I wish Brian Singer directed this movie because like the more I find out about Brian Singer, the more, I'm like, I wish he hadn't directed any movie, but at the same time, I do think he did a better job than Brett Ratner. And Brett Ratner is also a fucking pig, you know, you know, sexual harasser also. So it's like, you know, (laughs) I'm not rooting for anybody in this situation. Exactly. (laughs) Like the more you read about both of these guys, the more it's like, I mean, I I know I don't think anything's been proven with Brian Singer, but he's had enough different accusers come out. There's enough accusers for us to sit back and go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and then I think things have actually been proven with Brett Ratner, but yeah, right. But yeah, I mean, interesting intro, you know, it does start to play into the uh, lack of continuity that we see in X-Men in general of like, at what point mm-hmm. are Xavier and Magneto friends? At what point does uh, Professor X become paralyzed? Like, I don't know, well, whatever, it's fine. Well, Nobody does. The scene mirrors the the later scene in there where, where, uh, Xavier dies. So they mirrored that scene very well. You know that when it's important, Magneto is there for Xavier. It doesn't matter whether they're getting along or not. These two scenes prove that Magneto is there for Xavier. You know, there's that love and that respect between the two. I think it fits. But I also think that this is a different reality than we get into whenever it branches off. And I know they say that, but I think that this is a different reality altogether, even though events were pretty much the same with these continuity differences. And with these continuity differences, yeah, they were done by accident because there were new filmmakers coming in, but why not use that? Now you can say they're different universes and loop that into the the larger storyline that's going on. Yes, but here's the problem, and and I agree. Like 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 definitely, if we're talking about the reality that's created by Days of Future Past, that mm-hmm. is definitely a separate reality from this. Like explicitly, you know, we even see a completely different version of the Phoenix Saga play out in mm-hmm. that reality. Right. So obviously, yes. The problem with these movies has always been this, though. There's not even continuity from individual movie to individual movie, supposedly no, within the not, same timeline. Not in um, the slightest, no. And no. As, as a thing, it's like, there's, like, you know, you, you look at what, what they do with, with Lucasfilm right now, where there's, like, a story group whose entire job it is to look at all the different books and comics and animated shows and movies and, like, make sure that there's no direct con- contradictions and, like, you look at just, like, the, the X-Men movies, they're just flying by the sea of their pants, they're just like, ah, Sure, like, in, in X2, Hank McCoy was just this, like, this human-looking scientist, like, giving this interview, and now, like, two <laughs> years later, now, like, two years later, he's, like, Beast, is like, yeah, I've been Beast my whole life. Oh, yeah, I'm a friend of the <laughs> X-Men, too. Like, uh, you know, like... <laughs> 
I love that moment when everyone is greeting beasts like, oh, Hank, you've been around forever. You're a close friend. I'm glad to see you back. And Wolverine's like, I've never met this man before in my life. What, yes. what is strong? <laughs> yeah, what if, what if the entire timeline is shifting around, but for some reason, Logan is the only character that's like aware he's that the timeline is changing. It's like, he's yes. just like, yeah. jo- that's, that's the power that he's like not aware of is that he keeps jumping between these really <laughs> similar but slightly different universes. And he's just like, what? And- <laughs> The only reason it works is because A, he's got amnesia from a certain point, and after that, he just does not pay attention very much yes. when it's not relevant to him. It's like he just didn't notice because he just didn't actually care. I think you're on to something there. Yeah. God, that reminds me of like the TV show Invader Zim. There was a uh there was there was a written and almost produced but unproduced episode where they were going to introduce a new sidekick for Zim whose name is Mini Moose. Uh, and, and that the the episode got as far as the voice acting and storyboard stage, but was never animated. But then Aww. there was there was a later episode, uh, actually the series finale of Invader Zim, uh, before it, it kind of got brought back years later as a TV movie, but the original series finale of Invader Zim was a Christmas episode that includes Mini Moose. And at one point, uh, there's a character who looks at Mini Moose is like, "What? What is that?" And Zim is like, "Oh yeah, that's Mini Moose, my other sidekick. Yep, been with me the whole time." <laughs> and there's like no other explanation for it at all. And it's like, I was like, that was so perfect. Like it's like, okay, we're yep. gonna acknowledge the I lack of continuity and make and make it. It's such a good show. Yeah, God, that was it's such a good show. It's so good. <laughs> Fucking genius. It's been with me the whole time. Been with me the whole time. (laughs) So that is Logan. Yes. Logan. Yeah, so that, but that, that's what that car is. Oh, yeah, Beast, our buddy Beast. He is a former X Men, a, a current, uh, uh, you know, Congressman, Secretary of Mutant Affairs, you know, been our buddy the whole time. Logan's like, what? Who? Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> it fits, yes. yes. I love the way they did Beast in this, though. I he's, Kelsey, Kelsey he's my Grammar. favorite Kelsey Grammer as Beast might be my favorite thing about this movie. I think I think it's, yeah, like, I it's definitely one of the I think it's one of the best things about this movie. Honestly, they did such a good job with him. He feels like he came right out of the comics. Kelsey Grammer completely nailed the role. Just perfect yeah. casting. Oh, Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Highlight of the film, love every scene that he's in. And I do think that this movie does a better job in general of being an ensemble piece. Like, like it's still kind of with Logan mm, at the does. center of it, but I, I they, they gave everybody a lot more to do. I think Bobby had more to do. Storm actually has like she, for the first time they gave Storm something to do. Like she, she really so, steps <laughs> up and becomes. Yes. Storm is finally a full character. Like, she really steps up and she becomes team leader in this movie, and I actually really like that for her. I think she's a good character to step up into that leadership role, because that's not... Logan is not a leader. He just isn't. No. No. And I think that this movie acknowledges that. And obviously, Scott's like, but he's he's too busy being either just you know sad boy or dead the entire movie. So like, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> oh my god, uh, that's the least least satisfying exit of a character you I wasn't even a big fan of. But even not being a giant fan of Scott, I'm still like, this is bullshit. No, the first it's time bullshit. The this. way they killed him off is bullshit in this movie. Oh, that and was that's the best part of the movie. Favorite. 
I hate Scott. <laughs> it was the best part of the movie. And I love that she was like a succubus and killed him. Look, if you hate Scott and you want him to die, at least let us see his body explode on screen. <laughs> but if you liked Scott, <laughs> that if you liked Scott even a little bit, then he also deserves to explode on screen, if only so that... You know, it's a little more, un, you know, it's not so unceremonious as, well, I guess he's dead now. Mm, all right. <laughs> well, James Marsden was like, look, I got to go be, I got to go be in Superman Returns. So you get me for two days. I, I'll do one scene in the mansion. I'll do one scene at the lake and then I'm out. All right. That's it. Yep. <laughs> I thought that was the best part of the movie. Um, I love I, I Magneto's, I love Magneto's storyline, but. I have always hated Cyclops. He is the only character that is whinier than Logan. And I enjoyed not seeing him die. But I'm, I, I'm with that. Like, just because you don't like a character doesn't mean that the character is not important enough to spend time on actually showing or, or like giving him like a, a more satisfying death. Even if you're going to kill him off, he should have been killed like halfway through the movie if you're going to kill him off. Right. Really, he should have gotten the death that Xavier got in this movie should have been Scott's death, in my opinion. Oh, no, no. Why not? He was horrible. He was a side character. He was whiny. There was but no I, rhythm I think to his that, performance. But I think that you're bringing too much of your personal opinion in the character. And like, what, oh, like, I like absolutely the, agree with that. Like, like, like the fact yeah. is, like, whether you like the character or not, he's one of the, he is one of the main characters. He is. Exactly. And you can't just you can't just sweep him under the rug just because you personally don't like him. Like I don't know. My reasoning is because he drops his guard because it's Jean. And it makes sense that she would be able to take him out really fast. And you don't want to reveal how it's done or why it's done. I, this is a trilogy. This is X-Men 3. And you have a formula for specific trilogies. I mean, think about Jamie Kennedy's character in Scream. He always explains those rules. You have to sacrifice someone big, and they sacrifice two someone's bigs. Well, there's no, there's no, well, that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with satisfying, with sacrificing somebody big, but doing it in such a disrespectful way of we're not even going to show the death, and he's going to be in the movie for two minutes because yeah, like that's, also, that's so unsatisfying. I, I that's see what so you're unsatisfying. saying. I see what you're saying, but I'm sure the team was like, okay, you go off and do your thing. I'm sure they no, were just... It was, no, it was because... Yeah. It, that is the reason for it. It's because it of Superman be Returns. Disrespectful. But that's But that's what pisses me off even more, is because they, they killed him off in an unsatisfying way, so he can go off and be in an even shittier movie than this one. That's <laughs> right. what pisses me off. It's like, what? Like... Yeah. <laughs> it's also... You have Professor X get this big memorial, and people talk about the effect he had, and I know I don't personally like Scott... It's another thing to basically have every other character be like, well, who cared about Scott? Jean, I guess, but then she killed him, so, uh, well, no one else here is going to mourn Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> None of us cared about him. But no, seriously, like, like Xavier viewed Scott as as almost being a son to him. Scott and Storm were buds. Like they 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 were they were bros with each other. You know the fact were, that nobody yeah. the fact that nobody had that kind of like it's it's not consistent. Like it, several of the characters are just not consistent in this movie. Oh yeah, as, not with, at all. With the oh, previous I agree. Movies too. I completely and that, agree. And that's, the moment where the moment where uh, Magneto turns on Mystique, I don't think he would have done that because it was Mystique. Yeah. Had it been anybody else, he sees them as pawns. He does not see Mystique as a pawn. He sees her as right. a partner. 
I don't think that he would have turned on her like that. I think leaving her in the way that he did, in in kind of that dismissive way, and then that being like, oh, such a shame. Like, I think, like, really showing his heart broken, and I would have even bought him killing her in a perceived yes. act of kindness. Yes. Mm-hmm. As being a more in-character thing for him to do than just yes. leaving her on the floor. I completely agree yeah. with yeah. that. I can even see him, like, I don't know, wrapping her in his cape, but then taking her to, like, a truck stop and saying, I'm sorry, but mm-hmm. you can't continue on yes. with us. Like, just unceremoniously yes. leaving her on the floor of a trailer no. does not, it doesn't fit. No. I also don't think, I know he has a couple of lines, but I don't, I think that Xavier's death should have bothered Magneto more than it did in this movie. Yes! Yes, that was That was a big agree. thing when I watched it on this time, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, he does say that he's genuinely remorseful about it, but that's, again, the problem, is this movie doesn't fucking show anything. It's like, show us he's remorseful. God yeah, damn. the whole thing, uh, he, he stops what's-his-face and he tells him, uh, he corrects him whenever he talks about Xavier being dead, it's a good thing, or he would have killed him himself. And he stops him, and he and he corrects him, but I, yeah, like y'all said, I don't think that's enough. I just think there would have been more. There would have been more anger. He would not have, he would not have coddled her unless it was to kind of bring her energy down so that he can surprise her and cure her. I think that he would have used that cure on her. Because yeah, she was I more actually agree. I, it, it occurred to me when I was watching this movie, I know that the uneasy truce between Magneto and the X-Men was done in the last movie, but I actually think that from the character that we've been shown in the first two movies, I think Gene killing Xavier, if there, if that was going to happen, maybe that should have even happened a little bit later in the movie. Yeah. And that should have been the turning point at which Magneto For flips Magneto. sides and, and joins yeah. the X-Men, because I think that that would yep. be, that would be fucking it for him. He's like, you know, you know, you don't, you don't get away with that. Yeah. Just the idea that he'd be like, well, that suits my purposes. Like, first of all, the idea that he says that and then never once tries to use Gene, despite that being the stated reason he brought her along. Like, at no point during the actual conflict or anything, he's like, Gene, take care of this. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. If he's going to groom Gene as a weapon, he has to try and use Gene as a weapon if he's not going to, then, yeah, he has to be trying to find a way to shut down Gene. And maybe fail, but he's got to try, because otherwise she's a threat to everything he worked for, too. Yes. And speaking of characters being inconsistent from previous movies, I also want to bring up Xavier in this movie for a second. I know Xavier has always been a complicated character in comics, in movies, in whatever. You know, the fact of the matter is, like, he is a, a, a seemingly benevolent character who does have a you know a device which feels like kind of a super villain device to have with cerebro and i do think that he is arrogant however the whole thing about how apparently he always knew about gene gray's like suppressed like and and was actually the reason for suppressing her personality i think it would have been interesting if we had established that yeah i actually did do that and now I regret doing that, and I think that was the the wrong choice, is a little bit right. different from saying, yeah, I did that, and I'd do it again. I have no I have no remorse <laughs> towards that. I regret just, nothing. Just <laughs> doesn't seem, 
it doesn't seem like the same Xavier we saw from the first it two doesn't. movies. It honestly doesn't. It, just his whole attitude towards that. His whole conversation with Wolverine is like, oh, I don't need you to lecture me, especially not from you. I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, and I, I have a couple of different problems with, with the execution of specifically how they did the Dark Phoenix thing. Like, per- personally, okay, if we're going to say that this personality was always inside of Gene, I think that came a little bit out of nowhere, to be honest. Yeah, Of it like, it, It's like, this wasn't really, that was, like, we foreshadowed that there was some kind of darker power inside of her, but mm-hmm. we never foreshadowed that Xavier knew about this the whole time and was the reason behind it being suppressed. We also didn't get that there was another personality attached to it. It's like, it's enough to just say that she has incredible power that she can't control without trying to say that it's got some weird psycho mind attached to it as well. But but just the idea that, again, Xavier has been suppressing this all this time, like, even if we're deciding to go that route, it would be more interesting and, again, truer to the character if he was like, yeah, I did that, I made that decision, and I now I now regret that decision. I've learned things since then, you know, I've, I've grown as a person since then, Logan. You know, whatever, like... <laughs> That would have been truer to the character than just going the route of, yeah, no, yes. fuck, I, I'd do it again. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Yeah, I, yeah I, I have a few issues with the Dark Phoenix. And just talking about the Dark Phoenix itself, it really bugs me that this is like a supposed other personality in there that is just evil, but whose motivations never make any sense at mm-hmm. any point. Like, why... Did she kill Scott? Like, literally, he's not a threat at the time. She didn't hate him at the time. She loved him, you know, at the time that, you know, she went under. So, I don't know. You can just explain it as literally she can't control her power and she just killed everything in like a 50 meter radius, Scott included. I'd buy that. That would make sense. But just randomly deciding to kiss and then kill Scott... Basically, anything that Jean does in this movie doesn't actually make sense, and she never kind of explains where she's coming from or what she's thinking or what she's doing, and we never see that either, because she just kind of stands there menacingly until she kills somebody. It it frustrates me. Yeah. She's just like a weird, evil force of nature, and not in a good way either. Uh, they could have easily explained it away by the way they set up this other character being able to do like Vegeta or Goku or Frieza and sense their power levels and where they're at. But when they set that up, they could always make it to where she's absorbing them. The Phoenix is absorbing them to keep her alive. I think that would have made more sense than what they did. She had no reason. She had no direction. Why was she destructive? Just to be destructive? Yeah. It doesn't make any right. sense. The, yeah. the VFX is pretty neat, and I love what they did with her. Oh, yeah. But, the effects of it are cool. It's just yeah, the character doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah, and even the fact that, you know, we, we whenever she vaporizes somebody, we always, she, she just, like, obliterates them, them, their clothes, everything. Yeah. So why did she do that to Scott, but, like, leave his glasses intact? You know, like... Right? <laughs> well, she, they took his glasses off earlier. Okay. They, he, he wasn't attached to them. I guess so, but... And then she destroys them when when Logan shows them. Oh, I, 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 I oops. Oh, did I do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, no, it's just it was just bad execution for the overall Dark Phoenix storyline. Like I, 
I think most of my issues with this movie have to do specifically with the Dark Phoenix element of it, which is kind of the main sort of like, again, a lot of the other stuff that's happening in this movie around it, I actually think is pretty good. I actually like the whole Mutant Cure storyline that actually came from a very, at the time of the release of this, a very recent story arc that was written by Joss Whedon at the time for the Astonishing X-Men, where they, they had introduced the idea of a mutant cure, and actually they, they took a lot from that comic and put that into this movie, which it really only came, I think the comic came out like two years before this movie, so it was a very recent storyline, but weirdly, like, that part of it, I think is actually a much stronger storyline for the movie than the Dark Phoenix part of it, and I, and I, the whole thing with Rogue choosing to be cured was something that I didn't like the first time I watched the movie, but as I kind of rewatch it and I rewatch the whole trilogy, I actually think it feels like it honest and it, and it, like it makes sense as as an ending for this incarnation of Rogue as she has been portrayed right. in these movies. Personally, I like it, but also it is so weird that so little time is devoted to her and her story, considering she was, you know, practically one of the major characters in the first two films. But that's. That's true about, like, half the characters in the movie is, like, you know, not, no one getting anywhere near enough, like, time to focus on. But it does make sense. I always find it hilarious when you have that scene with Storm and Rogue talking. It's like, oh, what, Professor, they say there's a cure? No, because there's nothing to cure. It's like, okay, you are a weather goddess who can control lightning and can hide your abilities and can fly and shoot lightning and all these other cool stuff. And she kills anyone she touches. Can't control that at all. Yes. Yeah. That's not the same experience at all whatsoever, Storm. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to cure. But that's that's the thing. That's the reason it's an interesting storyline and interesting debate is like, you know, some mutants, it's just a positive. Some mutants, you know, it doesn't affect life much. And some mutants are actively hurting the people around them, both you know, physically and mentally, and yeah, there'd be a reason why they'd want to take yeah, you know, of course. A that. They, and they should have that choice. Maybe this movie is about being pro-choice or being forced to do something oh. like pray the <laughs> pray the mutant away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of always been what X-Men has been yeah. really about at, at it its is. core, you yeah. know. You know, not, not necessarily just any one social issue or like, like you know, I think it started no. off as being, it started off as being a racial metaphor and then it's kind of evolved to, to also be kind of LGBT or trans rights or what, like it's, but it's about all of that. It's always been about all it of that, is. you know. It's, it is always been about civil rights. Exactly. And I think that, that, I think that this movie doesn't forget that. And that's one thing that it I will doesn't. actually give, I will actually give that yeah. very much to this movie. I still get swept up in in Magneto's movement, and and that I love. I do love the the metaphor of him taking in Jean and trying to free her, and then at the end when he loses his powers and he can't control what's going on around him, he looks at her and he says, "What have I done?" You know, mm -hmm. it's it's one of my favorite parts of the movie because you see. Uh, Magneto show more power in this and he knows he's second rate compared to her. And one of the reasons why I feel like he keeps her close is because he understands that she did need the guidance that Xavier was giving her. But then he he regrets it because he was the complete extreme you know, nodding that Xavier's way was much better than mine. And I've made a huge mistake. I, I don't know. I really like 
that part of the movie. But I also like how callous he is. Like whenever he says, tells his people to wait, uh, there's a we- reason why the pawns go first, and then they come out with their with their weapons, and he goes, "That's the reason why the pawns go first. There are some good Magneto moments in this movie, and like, he are. always he's always been a sympathetic villain, but he's also always been a villain. You know, even he's even complex, right. yeah, he's a complex villain, and I like that. Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is, like, you know, the, the, even just the, the second X-Men movie, which I, I think we, we, we could probably agree is the best of this initial trilogy, but like, yes, even in that right. one, yes. Magneto, at the end of that movie, tries to kill every human person in the world at the end of that movie. Yes. He does. He is a, he is a supervillain, even in these films, even, as, even as sympathetic as he is. And I think that this movie- But he's still not redeemable. Yeah, but I, I do think this movie made him more one note than he was in the previous films. Yes, yeah. I agree. But I do think that there are really cool moments with Magneto, and I, I will actually agree with that. You know, that's why the pawns go first. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, that's cold. Yeah. That's cold, man. But it like, shows that's, how but that, horrible he is. But that does feel consistent with with the Magneto that we've seen. It you is know? consistent with Magneto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not not yeah. Mystique, but anybody else around him. He's like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Let's yeah. see what happens. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of cool Magneto moments. I love the moment when he points out, it's like, yeah, there's a reason I don't have your weird little gang tattoos. And oh, yeah, I've been yeah. also been in the civil rights, you know, much longer than you. Exactly. <laughs> but like something I both hate and love is the whole bridge thing. Oh yeah. A, that's a cool sequence. B, it makes no, like, it doesn't actually make sense why he's doing that. No. Because on the one, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, I get it. He's, he's into big displays. He's Magneto. He's not going to, like, do something half-assed or, you know, small or subtle. But also, he doesn't actually need a bridge. Like, he sets it up as a bridge. That's how the human reinforcements get it there, is they cross over the bridge he made. But all of his troops were already on the bridge. Yeah. All, what he had to do was, like, move a few trucks or something to the island, mm-hmm. and that would have been more beneficial for him in the long run. But no, the writers are just like, well, how does everyone get off? Well, they cross over the bridge. Why is the bridge there? I don't know. Magneto puts the bridge there. Don't question it. <laughs> you know, that's a good point, but I, I do still... I, I, I justify it for myself with, with what you just said. Like, to me, it's just Magneto just has to make this this big yes. grand show. He has to make this big... Right. You know, that's that's just who he is, you know. I love when he slams it down and he says, well, Xavier said we should build bridges. (laughs) I I got it. It's such a stupid, cheesy lie, but I did laugh this this time watching it. It's like, that was was a good, that was, it was so dumb, but it was a good one. Yes. You know? (laughs) I also like when uh, Beast tells uh, Logan that he was doing so-and-so when he was in diapers or whatever. And I'm like, uh, that's the wrong character. Yeah. Cones <laughs> Logan so old. Well, but no, but none of them actually know how old Logan is at this point, including yeah. him because of the amnesia thing. So like everybody's assuming that he's the age that he physically appears to be, mm-hmm, uh, I think yeah. is what it is. But yes, it's like, no, like Logan, he's had claws since long before you were even born, Beast. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but again, we we don't actually know that yet, and, and even Logan, and Logan doesn't, doesn't know. Yeah, Logan yeah. doesn't know how old he is. Yeah, but I also I also did like there's there's some good banter between Logan and Beast in this. Is like like there at the is. end where it's like 
I was like, oh, I thought you were a pacifist. And Beast's like, well, there comes a time where every man must... Oh, oh, you get the All idea. Right. You get yeah. the idea. <laughs> that was so crazy. Yeah, just, just punch things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's such a Beast moment. It's like, oh, yeah, you can... Wax philosophical, but also I'm just, you know, punching a man in the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty Pride has kind of been popping up, by, played by different actresses in the first two movies, but this is the first time that uh, she was played by Elliot Page, who I think he did a great job playing this character. I actually really like him right. in this role. Honestly, watching it this time, like, I I know that they kind of set up sort of a love triangle, but, like, the, when I watch the movie this time, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, like, I feel yeah. like it's only really a love triangle from Rogue's point of view, to yeah, be right. honest. I feel like Bobby really is just trying to be a good friend to Kitty. That like in all That's these scenes, kind of the like, impression I got is like, yeah, I don't really feel that Kitty's interested in Bobby at all, and Bobby definitely isn't interested in Kitty. He's just that's kind of who he is. He's just like a nice guy. Yeah, he helps people, he helps his friends yeah. out. Yeah, but you also get where Rogue came from. Yeah. So it's like I don't. This is really not like a love triangle, but no, I, I yeah. I don't get where Rogue was coming from. She was... Uh, she's 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 twisted up because she can't, like, be intimate with people. They're touching each other. I'm leaving forever. It's not logical. That's the thing. It's just how people feel. People feel things which don't make sense. But in the world of love and heart rips and emotion... I get it. In the world of love and relationships, that's a red flag. That's that she's jealous. Stay away. I, I actually don't view it that way. I view it as being more of a thing of she's seeing these moments between Bobby and Kitty and, you know, these moments of like, you know, even j just like Kitty's about to fall on the ice. He catches her. He kind of holds her hand for a second. And, and Rogue sees that. And it's like, I can't even fucking do that. I can't even hold his hand. Right. I think that that's more what it is. And it, it's, it's this thing of, you know, realizing that that she can't be close to Bobby in, in all the ways that she wants to be. And and physical intimacy is is you know like like that that is a need that people have too and like you can yeah. ignore that red flag all you want but in ten years when she stabs your cat for being able to cuddle you more than she can I don't want you to ask why that's why <laughs> she gets the cure <laughs> so she doesn't have to stab a cat which you know most people wouldn't do but <laughs> I think Rogue can get basic instinct fast. <laughs> But yeah, I do also want to piggyback and say I loved Elliot Page's job. Like it's a relatively small role in the film, but I just love his performance so much. She's she's the character is in this movie definitely a lot more than she is in in the first two movies. Um, and she is actually pretty well. I I like that 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 Kitty and Iceman are much more integrated into the actual X Men team instead of being why it's like the kids have kind of graduated to being a part of the team in this one. And Kitty also has a, a great moment. Like, like I, I actually enjoy the kind of chase sequence between her and Juggernaut. I actually think, you know, right. having the character who can run through walls by phasing through them and the character who could run through walls by running through a fucking wall, I thought was a good kind of pairing <laughs> for kind of that chase sequence. I thought, you know, Right, yeah. <laughs> and and I like the way I like the way that she defeats Juggernaut by outsmarting him by realizing that oh, our powers don't work around this kid. So, you know, baiting him into <laughs> knocking himself out uh, on the wall. I I, th I thought it was nice. I thought it was a nice sequence. No, it was it was a cool sequence. Yeah, it was a good Yeah, that was a good uh villain hero uh matchup there. And 
Honestly, I know Juggernaut kind of gets like a bad rap in this film, but honestly, I love him. He's an idiot. He's just a big oh, I, dumb. I liked how they did Juggernaut. I thought this idiot in it is great. They, I, I thought love they that. did Juggernaut well in this. I thought they did a good, really good job with yeah. him in this movie, actually. Yeah, but after seeing him, I did miss the Juggernaut in Deadpool too. Can I say something, Liz? Yeah. When I saw yeah. Deadpool 2, I found myself missing the Juggernaut from this movie. Oh. Right. <laughs> this one is more fun. No. This one is more fun. I, I get it, though. I don't, I don't the like after? the CGI Juggernaut. I don't like the fully yeah. CGI Juggernaut. I, that's, that's, that's my big thing. It's like, I, I know he's supposed to be huge in the comics, but in comics, everything is exaggerated. It and feels I get very it. 80s. I, a Deadpool movie is the movie to do exaggerated characters if you are going to do yeah. it. But I also like I felt that way about Colossus in, in Deadpool, too. It's like, why is he never why is he never going to his like just his skin form? But why, is, like, why is he eating like why is he eating like Wheaties and, you know, still in his steel? Yeah, shape, you know? so, <laughs> I, so I, I feel that way. Like, like I enjoy the Deadpool movies for what they are. But like, I, I don't like this slightly cartoonier kind of thing that they do with yeah. a lot of characters in that. I, I prefer the, the more right. real-feeling characters, but... It feels so 80s to me, and I love my 80s movies. Y'all know I do. But it mm -hmm. just takes me out. I, I'm just so used to seeing the Deadpool juggernaut, and I really do like... If you're gonna give me a comic book movie, give me a comic book movie. I mean, the man's wearing a giant, you know, metalish stone... Exactly. ...bizarre helmet on his head. He looks... Like a comic book character. It feels like it's, Masters of the Universe yeah. type costuming, though. But that's that's kind of who the Juggernaut is. He's this giant, broad, almost Masters of the Universe type character. That I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like the design in this movie. You know what cracks me up with Juggernaut in this movie is the scene where they're having the fight outside of Jean Grey's childhood home. Magneto gives the Juggernaut one direction. Don't let any of them in the house. And what does Juggernaut do during the fight? He throws Wolverine into the house. He yes, literally he did right. the opposite of Magneto's explicit instructions. Yes. Like, I know that that was like a fight thing, but like he literally. It was hilarious. Like, <laughs> no one ever accused the Juggernaut of being the brains of an operation. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's exactly who he should be. A massive dumb jerk and <laughs> yeah it's fantastic hey ben foster's in this movie too angel there we go he's hey, like he's like in this for two minutes but <laughs> he's technically this like it's weird because the scene where he's a kid you know trying to scrap up is so evocative and horrifying in all the right ways and you know it really hits you in the stomach shocking and gross and also does a really good job you know his father sees his son bleeding, having mutilated himself, and what he says is, oh no, not you, not, hey son, that looks horrifying, don't do that, don't hurt yourself like that. It's such an evocative and gross scene, and then Angel does nothing else in the movie. He does technically save his father, which, should he have? But, no, okay, apart I from that, say, I like the fact that he does. Because I think that yeah. that says something about Angel. It's like, even after his, like, maybe his father isn't worth saving, but it's still his dad, and he's still going to save him. And I and I actually like that about the character. It shows the nobility that that character has. It does. It is also the only thing said about Angel, because he does... We never get to see him, like, interact properly or really talk it through with another character. 
at any point, especially after he flies off. I While I love that scene, I kind of almost feel he shouldn't have been in the movie. Like, I get it, but yeah. You know what it tells me? That Angel saved his dad? It tells me that his dad owes a lot of money and doesn't have enough life insurance. (laughs) 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 You know what I always wanted to happen? Is, you know, at the very end of the movie, like the very last scene of the movie, before we pan down to Magneto playing chess, like you see Angel flying through the sky. I always wanted them to cut to a close up and he's still carrying his dad. And his dad just like, (laughs) son... When are you going to put me down? It's like, shh, enjoy the moment, Dad. Enjoy the moment. Shh, it's fun, Dad. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm here now. <laughs> You've been here now for five days. <laughs> I've had nothing to eat, but that swarm of gnats we flew through. <laughs> he's, he's having to drink the rainwater when they pass through that storm, you know? I- <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a dad, but he don't move no more. He's starved to death in my arms. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. We have Lenny Worthington. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know this is kind of an ensemble. I do kind of wish that he'd had more to do in this film as well. Actually, I know it is kind of the A plot. I know she's the big villain at the end. But the more I go through this film, the more I realize very strongly that I kind of wish the Dark Phoenix storyline was not a part of this film at all. And it was mm-hmm. just the mutant I, uh, thing because they, they kind of shoved two movies together. They but it did. felt like they did yeah. it. They did, it seemed like they just didn't have enough of a plot idea. It was like, we're going to do Dark Phoenix, but they just didn't really have a, a good plot idea for Dark Phoenix. Yeah. So they just shoved it together with the mutant curve storyline, which again, I think is actually the stronger part of the plot. The, the mutant cure storyline, I think is actually the stronger part is. of it, but they just didn't know, like, they, they had to do Dark Phoenix because they set it up at the end of X2, but they just didn't really have an idea for it. They could also have, like, put it off for another film. They could have done it if they, <laughs> yeah, no, they could have done that if they wanted to, too, but, you know, but people were kind of expecting it after that that that, that scene at the end of X2 also, but, okay, I, I will say, in defense of the Logan-Scott-Gene love triangle, not necessarily just the love triangle, but but <laughs> Logan having these feelings for Gene... What that accomplishes in this movie is it makes it so that the one character who is capable of killing Gene because of his healing factor doesn't have to go through something physical in order to kill her. He has to go through an emotional obstacle in order to kill her, which I actually do think is more compelling than if they had just like found some kind of bullshit way to, you know, they're like basically saying that Logan was capable of killing her the whole movie. But right. it's it's just him get but his his struggle is getting to the point of deciding to do it, of of having the strength to be able to do it. And I I don't know. I, I do actually think that that was effectively done. That that aspect of it was effectively done for me in this movie. All I got to say is I don't want Logan to love me. Fuck that shit. I'd rather keep living. Yeah. I love you. He does have Ridiculously bad track record with that, yes. Let's also talk about how she's this phenomenally cosmic, powerful being, and he just walks up to her and stabs her one time, one time after saying, I love you, baby. Stabs her one time and it's over. Right. He doesn't even stab her in the heart or anything. It's like in the gut. She would have realistically been bleeding out for like the next five minutes or so. Right? 
I'm glad they went ahead and killed her off because I would have hate to see them draw it out like they like, you know, oh, my God, that would have been horrible. But I don't know. That ending sucked. It did. Pretty much everything to do with Dark Phoenix in this movie, apart from the VFX, which were really well done. The VFX were Um, nice. But writing wise, everything to do with Dark Phoenix in the movie, everything to do with Dark Phoenix in the movie was pretty terrible. It shouldn't have been in this film. If they were going to do that storyline, they should have devoted the entire film to it. And yeah, I don't know. It it was not held well. (laughs) No, it really wasn't. Can I say something on a positive note, though? And oh, please. I, Certainly. This is, this is like one of the most amazing things about this movie. And I just wanted everyone to know how happy it makes me that Sean Ashmore, you know, Iceman, he is still that pretty. He is 43 years old yeah. and he is still that pretty. Oh, he's he really, he's one of those actors yeah. who really has not <laughs> aged. He, he looks gorgeous. the same. Yeah. He's the next yeah. Paul Rudd. I want some of his DNA. I remember when he came back in Days of Future Past <laughs> and looking at him I'm like, by God, he did not no! age a single bit in between these films. What the hell? Om nom 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 nom. <laughs> nom nom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So that that's the good news about this movie. Well, well, I'm I'm yeah. glad, I, I'm glad you kept because I know we kind of talked about Bobby and in, in his relationship with Kitty in this, but like I think they yes. actually I really like Bobby in this movie. I really like I like I, yeah. I, I I they really delivered on you know having a character who starts off as the student and really showing him become a true mm-hmm. X Man. I think that he mm-hmm. has the best version of that arc of any character in this trilogy for me. Yeah, and I love that he gets to take down Pyro at the end. I mean, he kind just headbutts him in ice form but so we don't really know what happened to him but but i I love that he becomes iceman you know he gets like the the ice texture because that's straight out of the comics too and that that's like that's that to me represents him like fully realizing his his true potential the the Mm -hmm. potential of his power in that so i think it's a great cool moment and that was a great, like, it's the fire and ice thing. And those those two characters have that kind of baggage coming from X2. So I'm glad that he's the one that got to kick Pyro's ass. So, yes. And Pyro definitely had it coming. Good Lord. Oh, yeah. Pyro's a <laughs> douchebag. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> so with, with Professor X getting killed off, here's my thing about it. I feel like every X-Men movie of, of all three in this trilogy they keep realizing that Professor X is too much of a powerful character, so they keep coming up with some reason why he can't be there in the third act. Right. It's like the first movie, he goes into a coma. The second movie, he's being mind-controlled for half the movie. In this movie, we're like, ah, uh, let's kill him off. But we're really not, yeah. because he's going to come back because he's transferring his consciousness to some comatose guy who might be, I guess, his identical twin brother, maybe. Maybe, possibly, who knows? Uh, okay. Honestly, there's the... There's the other explanation, which makes slightly more sense, but is also just as skeezy, where it's like, and he makes everyone think the guy looks like Xavier from then on. It's like, (laughs) that's a little messed up, but okay, sure, why not? (laughs) Like, look, you gotta kill the character off just to bring him back in the post-credits through some, like, flimsy bullshit of, like... Oh, yes, ethics class. Let me show you this comatose man and say, what did we transfer someone's consciousness into this comatose <laughs> guy? Professor X, this is a really weird and specific kind of ethical uh, quadri here. It's like, what? 
why would it even occur to anybody to put somebody's consciousness into to some like brain dead person? It's like, oh, that's, uh, you know, it, it could happen. <laughs> it could happen. And apparently, him deciding in the end, yep, totally ethically, ethically no, worth no it. No ethical problems here. No. <laughs> <laughs> Completely fine. <laughs> Uh, also, somehow he gets my powers. It doesn't, you know, don't think about it too much. It's fine. <laughs> well, well, you don't know Xavier's real last name. It's Charles Xavier Palpatine. He's a Palpatine. He right. can do this. You <laughs> don't even have to Xavier say it returns. Yeah. or foreshadow. Somehow you know, Xavier I just realized that... <laughs> Yes. For almost every movie afterwards that they do actually pull the same thing. It's like, all right, so first class, he doesn't have a full handle on his abilities yet, and there's another psychic, but, you know, he's still ridiculously strong. Then you have uh, Days of Future Past. He voluntarily stops using his powers, which are tied to his legs somehow? No, it does. doesn't make sense. And then, you know, from that on, it's like, um, we're going to keep having reasons why he's not, you know, able to just handle this in a second. I just feel like it. But th th this one in particular just felt lazy to me. It's like, it honestly, did. if you're going to kill Xavier off, I love Xavier. But if you're going to kill him off, kill him off. Yeah. That's honestly how that's, I feel. Yeah, that's that's honestly how I feel. Like, yeah, for me, that's kind of the appeal of these movie universes as opposed to comics. Is like comics... You know, they're going to come back in like 50 issues or three. You know, it's it's a matter of time. But yeah. with these films, it's like you can let a character die and then just say, yeah, in this continuity, that is when they die. They're gone. Exactly. And we have to, you know, live with that fact. And then so they'll come back. There'll be another movie starring the character, but it's different continuity. So you don't got to worry about it. Well, apparently every single X-Men movie is in a different continuity, even the ones that are supposed to be direct sequels. Right. So they're all different universes. That's what it feels like. They're all different universes. That needs to be the reveal in Deadpool 3. Is like, uh, thanks to my messing around with time travel, you guys have literally never had a linear adventure. Yes. I've, I've always. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have messed this up multiple times. <laughs> well, are we ready to go into overall thoughts and our score of 1 out of 10? Yes. All right, Zach, yeah. I'll let you start this week. So... This is not the worst movie in uh, the X-Men universe, you know, that was ever made. X-Men Origins Wolverine exists with its completely half-baked effects and, you know, extremely terrible characterization for practically everybody. Um, this is not even the worst Dark Phoenix movie because X-Men Dark Phoenix exists and you could literally <laughs> count, you could literally see... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence counting the seconds until she got to leave the set for the last time. But this is it, it's not it's not fantastic. It has some moments that I really like. Um, it does have that extremely effective that you know visceral scene with young Warren. I really love Kelsey Grammer's Beast. I love the introduction of Elliot Page as Kitty Pride. But overall, the writing in this film is extremely weak, and the entire Dark Phoenix plotline is pretty it's pretty terrible um so this is i'm not going to give this the worst score possible but this is definitely getting a four out of ten <laughs> what can i say that hasn't already been said i like the uh magneto scenes i like the magneto story for some of it <laughs> i i don't know i think that I think that it's the writing just brings everything down. I do believe that the VFX is above average. 
So everything positive about this movie, I feel like, is technical. And I think that this one is the worst with the continuity issues that they have. And it's just, you're right, it's not the weakest one, but it's it's up there. But I have to give this one a uh, 5 out of 10. You know, as much as I complain and bitch about this movie, and I, I do think that there's a lot of things that are really fundamentally wrong with this movie... I gotta admit, I actually do still sort of enjoy this movie. I I do sit down to watch it. I'm entertained by it. I do think that the investment that we've built up with these characters from the first two movies does pay off, and it does make this... It does give the movie stakes. It does give it emotional resonance. The worst thing about the movie, to me, is the way they killed off Cyclops. I think killing off Cyclops off-screen, to me, is actually the worst thing about the movie. I don't think Dark Phoenix was particularly well-handled... But I do think that playing up that relationship, not not relationship, but the feelings that Logan had for Jean Grey, I think playing into that and giving him, you know, but making him the only character who's capable of stopping her, even though he doesn't want to, I think was actually a good way to kind of handle the, the wrap up of that story. I do think that there's issues with the way the characters are portrayed coming from the previous movies. Uh, particularly Xavier, and in some cases, Magneto. Logan actually feels pretty consistent from movie to movie. I, w- I will say that. Like, he, <laughs> he, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, and Hugh Jackman always brings his A game. I do love Kelsey Grammer as Beast. I agree, Angel could have had more to do, but I, I, I actually do like the scenes that he's in. I think the scene where they, they reveal his wings for the first time, he chooses not to go through the cure. Like, I think it was important for the cure storyline to show an example of a character who decides not to go through with it, and then to show a character who does decide to go through with it, and to show that neither of them are wrong, and that it's really just about the choice. I think that that was actually effectively done. So there's a lot of things about this movie I actually do admire and I do really enjoy. And I think the action is good. I just think that, again, killing off Cyclops off screen, the way they handled Xavier and the way they killed him off and brought him back in the same movie, a lot of things of the handling of the Dark Phoenix storyline, I do think drag it down. But I'm still going to go for a soft positive, and I'll give it a 6 out of 10, because I do still find myself enjoying the movie. And I honestly did really enjoy the movie, even when it came out, you know? I I, I acknowledged it as being the weakest of the trilogy, but I do think it's an entertaining movie, and it is one I still will occasionally go back and rewatch, particularly as part of a franchise rewatch. It's not one that I particularly dread when it comes up, so I'll go 6 out of 10 overall. All right, having said all that, Zach, where can the folks find you? Folks can find me on Facebook as Zachariah Schneider, and they can find me at my personal site, zachariah-schneider-personal.rokuapp.com. Liz, where can the folks find you? Uh, you can find me under the Liz Tory on all social media. I'm Sam Wilson. You can follow me on Instagram at scwilson underscore actor. You can follow my band Gas Station Boner Pills at the Band of Boners on Instagram. And you can follow Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Pod on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the nerd shit pod we release episodes every single week make sure that you're subscribed to us anywhere you listen to your podcast leave us a review leave us a star rating send a dm to any of our social media accounts with your feedback on how you think we're doing up next we're going to be reviewing the last of us season one for hbo uh just concluded so we're going to go ahead and do our review of the last of us season one for zach schneider and liz tory i'm sam wilson thank you for joining us for nerd shit nerd shit not shit. Stay shitty, nerds. <laughs> <laughs>
Talk about the mansion. 